All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another Playing the Field. Um, we uh, I put out a podcast, I think it was two weeks ago, and it didn't get out. Um, so we're going to do one now. I, this is kind of the week we have to do it. Um, uh, just because it's the Super Bowl, this is kind of the last time we'll get to talk about the NFL for a little while until obviously the offseason rumors start kicking in and everything. But um, I wanted to give my Super Bowl reactions, just touch on the NFL season a little bit. And uh, also we have a, a, a big NBA kind of um, trade deadline situation that needs to be talked about. And this is one of the rare situations where um, you, you kind of have to talk about it. So we can get into it here. Um, we're obviously going to start with the NFL. I'm trying to get my um, mic to pick me up best way possible. Um, so let's start, we'll start with the NFL. And... Uh, the reason I'll, I'll we'll get into the NFC and AFC championship games a little bit, and we'll discuss um, kind of the same thing we did last week with whether or not the team, whether or not it's a win or a loss for the team to be in their situation. Um, and you know, obviously the Rams is going to be a win, but we'll discuss the Bengals, we'll discuss the Chiefs, we'll discuss the 49ers. Um, the the first one I want to talk about is the 49ers. Um, this is a clear win to me, um, that they were at the spot. I, I think a lot of people with the 49ers did not necessarily expect that they'd be in this situation. I think they knew that they were a good team. I don't think that they necessarily expected that they would be in the NFC Championship game, you know, possessions away from going to the Super Bowl again. Um, the, the 49ers had some weaknesses this year. Specifically with their secondary, which I know many 49ers fans can attest to. Um, and a lot of people think that they had a weakness at quarterback. So as as for those weaknesses, I think if if you were to have if you were to have gone to the fans and and said, here's a contract, <clears throat> the 49ers are gonna get this far in the NFL this year. I think uh, to get to the NFC championship game and lose in a close game to the eventual Super Bowl champions, I think most fans would sign on the dotted line for that kind of a season. Now, I've talked I talked before about the Jimmy Garoppolo <clears throat> um the, the, this kind of guarantee that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be traded and I think that that, that there is room for worry there um just to just move on a quarterback that can get you consistent wins in the NFL. Um I so we'll see. I, I know that there's strong arguments out there that basically suggest that it's all Shanahan, but I don't know. We'll see how that situation turns out. <clears throat> but as for the game, I think this is an absolute win for the 49ers to be in that situation. Um, now, the Chiefs is an interesting one. The Chiefs is really hard to pick here because they got to the AFC Championship game <clears throat> Again, though, this is the Chiefs. You kind of expect that. And this is why I, I, I think it's a it's a win and a loss. I lean more toward loss. Um, I think there is truth to what Patrick Mahomes kind of said in his post-game interview when he was talking about how we expect to be in this we expect to win a Super Bowl every year, and if we don't, that's a failure. I think there is truth to that. They have the best quarterback in the league. They have probably they have the fastest wide receiver in a top five wide receiver in the National Football League. They have the best tight end in the National Football League. They have one of the best safeties in the National... You know, we could go on. 
Um, they have unbelievable talent. <clears throat> they should be in the Super Bowl conversation every year. Now, the reason it's a loss to me is for two reasons. One is because the Chiefs' struggles this year did not come out of a vacuum, per se. The Chiefs had that area in the beginning of the season where they really, really looked rough. And they were winning games against inferior opponents, and they did not look good doing it. And that's something that, if you have really gruesome stretches like that, it wears on you, and it particularly wears on you in the postseason. Um, so I think that situation is a big reason why they were where they were um, come come postseason. And, and I think the other loss here is... <clears throat> The fact that they just completely disappeared. Completely disappeared. The offense disappeared in the second half. The offense, which is very, very scary as a Chiefs fan. When you have that much firepower and you got Andy Reid, who's an offensive-minded genius of a coach, and they can't get more than three points in an entire half of football to win that game. That's scary. That's why I lean loss in this situation. Now... The other part of this is <laughs> the uh, the Jackson Mahomes thing, which I'm now just recently getting caught up on. Um, and and this is a situation to me. Uh, some people think that this is a non-factor, and it probably is a non-factor. It is not a serious issue by any means to have a brother and a wife pissing off fans and everything. But there's a reason why I bring it up, and the reason why I do bring it up is because, A, I don't think Patrick Mahomes likes to be the villain, so... He needs, he needs to have a serious conversation with, with those two about what they're doing. It's clear that the brother is absolutely out of his mind in some, some of these situations, considering some of the stories that I've heard about him, you know, completely making scenes at restaurants and whatnot. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because teams that have distractions do not win Super Bowls. It is it is very tough in the net. It is like incredibly hard in the National Football League to win, and in order to win, every little thing has to be there. Every little thing, every scheme needs to be correct. Every you know every player needs to be a hundred percent bought in, and every player needs to be putting in a hundred percent effort. And the roster needs to be getting along, and the players need to be getting along with the coaches. Um, any sort of dysfunction in that realm, the season's over. Any dysfunction in a scheme realm, the season's over. Any The talent has to be there. If the talent's not there, the season's over. They will not get to the top. And the same is true with distractions. It can happen in the media as well. You need to stay out of the media. One of the, one of the great things and underrated things that the Patriots had done um, during their dynasty was they didn't feed into the media hype. They simply gave their opponents credit. They didn't talk crap. They didn't make unnecessarily headlines. They didn't create distractions for themselves. And it served them well. And it served them well for years. The perfect example of this is Antonio Brown, right? The Buccaneers had a team that probably should have gone back-to-back this year considering how the NFC was looking. Um, They had that situation with Antonio Brown and he walked off the field in the middle of a playoff game and it became a huge distraction for the team and a huge... A huge spent a lot of time in the media. They were talking about the team. Players became distracted, and what do you know? They had a horrendous first half that they couldn't come back from, and now they're done. Um, so that's that's kind of the reason why I bring this up because teams with distractions do not win, and 
if you are if you are the quarterback of your franchise, you need to be all in on that franchise and you cannot have members of your family stirring up drama. You know, I don't know if this actually got in the organization, it probably didn't, but just in general, even if it even if it does have the slightest effect, that's something that you need to address. And that is that is I, I know like what he's doing is ridiculous, but it's it's a serious issue with the Chiefs. Like they are pissing off fans. People were rooting against the Chiefs. It was a it was trending all over social media, on Twitter, everywhere. I like I am not a social media person. I am not big on social media, and I was hearing about it, which means that it was it became a, it became a big thing. So Mahomes, it's on Patrick Mahomes to shut this down. I mean, they really really need to take the, specifically his wife or fiance. And his brother needs to take a back seat. And he needs to try to control him the best he can. It does not look like it's going to be easy for the guy, and I feel for him. Um, but that needs to happen. That really, really needs to happen. Because you teams with distractions just don't win Super Bowls, even if it is something as stupid as these ridiculous TikTok things he's making. Um, so that's that's those those three together is why I, I kind of count this as a loss. Um <clears throat> I think the Chiefs do need a little bit of work on their defense still. Um, maybe beef up their O-line. I, I don't think the Chiefs have ever been able to really run the ball effectively either. Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards-Alaire are, are good backs, but they're not great backs. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they address that area. Because I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire was... I remember from fantasy, I, I fell into this. They, they hyped him up so much. Um, they called him the next Brian Westbrook that said he was going to be an immediate pro bowler. He has not been that. So it'll be interesting to see um, whether or not, you know, they look for other options or um, or if they stay with him, they could. St- I could totally see them staying with him and just running a package with him and Daryl Williams. I mean, it got them to the AFC Championship, so it's not like there's an immediate need there, but it'll be interesting to see if they try to address that because... Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, although young, is a little bit flawed in the sense that he's very, very small, um, which some people think is a good thing, but it's certainly not a good thing on the goal line. I mean, the guy cannot, cannot buy a touchdown when he's inside the five, which is a problem. And then he's also not blindingly fast. So he's definitely agile and he's a little bit nifty. He's a like, he's a nifty runner in the sense that it's kind of difficult to tackle him in the open field sometimes, but if, if you're that short, I think you would need to be fast in order to be an elite option. Um, so I, it'll, just something to think about to see if the Chiefs make a move there or do something to adjust that because I know that that was also kind of an issue for them. They didn't run the ball as well as they'd like to. Um, and then the other team we haven't talked about is the Bengals. So the Beng- obviously it's a, this is a win for the Bengals to be in this situation. No one thought they would be there. Zach Taylor is going to come back as their coach, um, which obviously it's hard to, hard to complain about that. I mean... They everyone overperformed this year. Um, I think the the real <laughs> the real issue here with the Bengals, the real failure of their season was not necessarily um, that they couldn't get it done in the big moment. I think the issue with the Bengals came at the trade deadline, where they knew that this team had a need in the O line, and they didn't really do anything to address it. It, it kind of speaks to me that even the executives didn't believe, maybe, or didn't think that they would be in this situation. But 
it is it's just it's just funny to think about that if the Bengals had had really sent it for an O lineman at the trade deadline and really really believed that this team could go far, they might be the Super Bowl champions because everything kind of looked good for the Bengals. As as crazy as it is to say, everything looked good for them. And then the offensive line in that second half just absolutely collapsed. Absolutely collapsed. Which is a, a serious, serious concern as well if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Because you have a, obviously a franchise quarterback now in Joe Burrow. And you got to protect him. I mean, that's the first thing. that the, the Bucks did that with Brady. I mean, they when they knew that they were getting Brady, they got Tristan Wirfs and they beefed up that O-line. It's the first thing you should do. That That is the number one goal of the Bengals. Not making a move for an O-lineman at any point during that first half of the season may have probably cost them a Super Bowl. So we'll see what happens. I assume that this is one of the first things they do when heading into the draft and heading into the offseason. But shocking how kind of just sitting back can really, really cost you in big moments here. Um, I think that's that's all I really have for the, uh, the NFL. I mean, obviously, congrats to the Rams. I'm happy to see, th- this was my pick, I, I picked uh, Rams to win, Bengals to cover, that's kind of exactly what happened, unfortunately a lot of people went Bengals money line on the bets and did not come through, um, but I was happy to see, I, I, the reason I picked that is because I knew it was going to be a game, and and the um, I thought that the, the Rams did kind of have the hunger factor here, even though the Bengals were young, because the Rams had a bunch of guys a bunch of uh, vets that hadn't had a Super Bowl, and they really needed it to... Uh, to add to their resume. Like Jalen Ramsey doesn't have a Super Bowl. Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, um, you know, Aaron Donald, obviously. All of those guys really, really wanted a ring. Um, and now they have one. So I I thought the Rams had the hunger factor. That's why I liked them for the game. Um, they also had a like legit D-line, which the Bengals offense just wasn't ready for, as you could see in the second half. Um, so we'll, we'll move on to the NBA here. Congrats to the Rams. I'm happy for Stafford. That was a really cool scene to see uh, Stafford and his, and his family and whatnot uh, on the field after the game. Um, but that was a great game. And I was also just generally happy to see teams other than the mainstream make it in. Because you, you don't get a Super Bowl with the Rams and the Bengals a lot. You get Patriots, Bengals, you know, sorry, Patriots, recently Buccaneers. You see Tom Brady in every other year, but... Um, you know, it was, it was kind of nice to see the Chiefs not in it, Rodgers not in it, all of those things. Um, so that was cool to see. All right, but we'll uh, we'll shift to the NBA now. All right, so a bunch went down here in the NBA that we're going to talk about. Now, I, my opinions are drastically different from the mainstream media in this situation. Drastically different. Um. So prepare yourself for, I guess, some inadvertent bold takes. But these, this is how I feel about these. Um, so we'll get to... Well, I'm going to start with the Chris Dabbs-Porzingis trade that went down. And then we're going to go to the Kings. And then we're going to go to the Celtics. And then we're going to go to the Sixers. Um, now, <laughs> again, I, I think I'm against the grain on pretty much everyone in this situation. Um so we'll we'll start with the Chris Tapps Porzingis trade. Now, this I think is a big Wizards win. I don't think the Mavericks won this trade. Now, I I know some people gave the Mavericks 
a B, somewhere in the B range for this move. And I, and the reason I'm I'm critiquing it is not because you gave up on Kristaps Porzingis. Now I was a big defender of Kristaps Porzingis for a long time, but um, I think I think if you wanted to give up on him, I get it now. Like the guy, the guy clearly is not going to work on his body, and he's not going to stay healthy. We now have a large enough sample size to know that he, and he's also not elite enough to just take your team to the NBA, to the Eastern Conference or Western Conference Finals. It's not like he has that kind of talent. So if you have a guy that's not that talented, you need him to stay on the court and work with Luka. And he he's not. He's just not. And on top of that, there's been some locker room issues with him as well. So I, I get, I understand actually, if you want to give up on Chris Stapps. And I had not been in that boat before. I wasn't, I wasn't opposed to the Mavs moving him. But I am opposed to how the Mavs moved him. Now... This is the interesting thing about this deal. If you are going to trade a player like this that has a big name, Chris Dabbs Porzingis, you do not need to win the trade. You are going to lose the trade because you're giving up the best player. However, what you do need to do is you either need to get draft picks, high, like pretty decent uh, order draft picks, preferably unprotected, or you need to get expiring contracts so that you can sign someone, right? The Dallas is a pretty big market. People want to play with Luka Doncic. People like Luka Doncic. You can sign a big fish. The Mavericks didn't either. If we go into the uh, the elements of the trade, let's, let's look up the trade for a minute. And we'll go through who the Mavericks got, which I know is Burton's, and I have a whole piece on Burton's here. Um... So there, and, and as I say this, I don't know if this is necessarily against. Um, I don't know that this is, is necessarily against. There's there's a couple other people that see that the Wizards have won this trade, um, but I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that they won it because they landed Kristaps Porzingis. I think Kristaps Porzingis is is flawed now. So, if we get into the details, it's really Kristaps Porzingis for Dinwiddie and Burton's now. Burton's. Spencer Dinwiddie is okay. You know he is what he is. He's a backup point guard that's going to give you ten points a game. He's solid, fine. Um, might help the wizard. Uh, might help the Mavericks a little bit, but Davis Burton's. If you if you look at Davis Burton's averages, uh, what is it? this year? He averages five points a game. And what people don't understand is that his contract is insane. If you get into his contract details, he is making $80 million over five years. And I do not believe that expires anytime soon. Yeah, he becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2025. And has a player option for 2024-2025, which you'll obviously take. So you are now on the hook... For 16, 17 million a year for a player that now gets you five points a game. That is not that is not what you want. You don't want to supplicate a bad contract in Kristaps Porzingis and give up the best player in a deal and get Davis Bertans in return. You could do so much better than that. You could do so much better than that. So that was really, really frustrating to see that they're gonna take on more and more money. Now I know you gotta make the money work, but find a player in this league 
that would be willing to grab Chris Dapps for Zingas, which there are takers for him, and grab a player that's expiring. So you have cap space. Uh, let's look at Spencer Dinwiddie for a minute. Spencer Dinwiddie can't be cheap either. He has a three-year, $62 million uh, contract himself. So now they've they've flooded their cap table with with kind of subpar players that have insane contracts. I didn't even realize this. He's making more than Burton's, and he's a, and they have him on the books until twenty twenty four. So the, the Mavericks now do not have cap space, um, and waiting another three years to to have it is not a viable solution. I I don't understand this. This really bothered me. Um, to see to see the Mavericks act in this way when you have a player this good get. Get money, and you get no draft picks. You don't even get a second-round draft pick for Chris Dabbs, Porzingis. That is a that is an F, in my opinion. That is a clear, clear F. And I I think some I saw some people give this trade a B. I I guess I guess now there have been more articles out that have that have critiqued this, which is good. Um, but oh my God, yeah, that's that is a. I mean, you have to take this win. That that is a win for the Wizards. If I were the Wizards right now, I would trade him. I would go around and trade him, get a first-round draft pick, get an expiring contract, get him off your books, get him onto a competitor. Why not, right? Um, just flip him. So we'll, I, I assume that that's what they want to do there. Uh, we will see, but oh my God, what a what a whiff job for the Dallas Mavericks, in my opinion. In my opinion. Um, then here here's the real here's the real shocker. So. And this has a little bit to do with the money. So this is where I know I'm going to disagree with most people. So the Kings trade, right? They trade Tyrese Halliburton. I believe the Kings won the trade. I I do believe the Kings won the trade. Now it's close. And I think there are elements here that make sense for both sides. But I do think the, the Kings have won this trade. Now here's why. The Kings got the best player in the trade. First and foremost, DeMontis Sabonis. The interesting thing about DeMontis Sabonis is that he is 25 years old. He is the same age as De'Aaron Fox, which means they are going to be able to grow under that core together. The other interesting thing about DeMontis Sabonis is he is under $17 million, $18 million contract for the next four or five years, which is, in today's market, for an all-star caliber player, pretty cheap. That is kind of a steal. So the Kings with, uh, I don't know what Fox is under. Um, let me see his contract right now. If it's cheap, they're going to also have cap space. So that he's not cheap. So they've extended him to the max level here. But when you do that, you've also committed that De'Aaron Fox is your point guard, right? This is this is the other point. So they have committed to De'Aaron Fox, which is not a bad decision. He is... He's 24, right? So he's 24. You have Simonis, who's 25. You have those two guys for the next four years, basically. Um, that is a really, really solid foundation if they both can improve. Um, and this is why I didn't get this. So, yes, you gave up Therese Halliburton. Big, big give up, right? Really good player, really good prospect. But in my opinion, that's why you do the trade. He's kind of a prospect. He averages 14 a game. At times, he did look like pretty much the best player on that Kings team. But you don't know what the ceiling... You, you don't know what these young players are going to turn out to be. Uh, Therese Halliburton was promising, yes. But you have no idea whether he just caps out at 14 points a game, and then he's 
14 points a game. There are, there are players like Derek White's another example, which we'll get into later, who looked really good, was ascending, and then dipped, right? This happens all the time with these young players. Now, De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis are not them. When you have a, a player that's consistently getting you over 20 points a game with De'Aaron Fox, you keep him. And DeMontis Sabonis is another one. You, he's a two-time All-Star. He's a bona fide player in the league. You know what you're going to get. Therese Halliburton, you don't necessarily know. You know, you don't know where his ceiling is either, right? So he could be 28 a game, and then you're screwed. But in my opinion, you go and get the best player, especially when he's on a good contract, when you need a big man. Like, this is the thing. You have you essentially have two point guards. You need, De'Aaron Fox needs the ball to thrive. Therese Halliburton doesn't necessarily, but in my opinion, kind of needs the ball to thrive, right? That there's no they're not going to work together. You and it wasn't working together. You you need to move on from one of them, and it's not going to be the the guy that you paid max money to that gets you over twenty points a game consistently and is an unbelievable scorer for his age, just unbelievable. Um, I mean, look, we'll look at his numbers here just briefly. It's kind of insane what he's been doing. You know, 33 points the other night, 25 points per game, um, 25 points per game in, in 2020. He's up 22 right now, but has been hurt for a little bit and is ascending. I mean, this this is your guy. This is your guy for the Kings. And you, another point, another young point guard, while I know he's good, I don't think it helps. I don't think it... I think, I think it's smart. I think you probably... What, what bothers me is they only got a first-round pick. Um, um, I mean, they only got a second-round pick when I wanted them to get a first. That's what I think kind of an issue is. But there's another part of this trade, too, that's really interesting. Which is another thing that's built in that another, a lot of people are not talking about. Is that they shed the Buddy Heald contract. So... Let's go to Buddy Heald for a minute. And they got Justin Holiday, who I think is a really good player, and he's on a cheap contract. So Buddy Heald's stats, in the last two years, he averages about 14, 15 points a game, right? Solid. What you don't, what a lot of people don't realize about Buddy Heald is that he's on a contract that is a whopping four-year, $94 million deal, which is max, max money. So they were able to shed that Get a quality player of Justin Holiday in return, who's making six million a year, gets eleven points per game, and shoots thirty-eight percent from three, and is a great defender. This is a win. This is a, this is a win for the Kings. Um, I, I think Buddy Heald is at the age now. Yeah, he's twenty-nine. You know, he's at the age now where he, this is what he is, right? Um, I mean, I think this is an absolute win for for the Kings. I know giving up Therese kind of leaves a sour taste in the mouth. But the, it, it wasn't going to work out there with him in Sacramento. And now you've just got an all-star in return, which is exactly what you're supposed to do with high-quality prospects. Exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, we'll move on from that. Um, I probably already have rocked the boat here a little bit. Um, we'll get into the Celtics quickly, quickly. Um, so I think this is a, this is an interesting trade. It's kind of fair. Um, the Celtics... so. This, what the Celtics here are clearly are clearly doing is what was kind of cool about this for the Celtics is that they were able to get people under contract so they could actually have some stability, which is kind of rare nowadays. Um, they have some stability now. They have they got Tice and they got Derek White who are under contract for the next three years, I believe. So they are going to have a core. Robert Williams has been locked up. Jalen Brown's been locked up. Tatum's been locked up. Smart's been locked up. 
Tice has been locked up. Derek White's been locked up. Um, Al Horford will probably be hanging around. So you, you basically have your core, and you have a core for years, which is fascinating. Um, Derek White's a good player. Um, I think this, again, I think the Celtics probably get the best player in this deal. Um, but the 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 shocking thing here is, well, this is my worry for the Celtics, is that Der- uh, Derek White is kind of another Marcus Smart, if you will. Derek White, let's look at his numbers, and if you look at his recent games, he is not shooting the ball well, <laughs> and it hasn't stopped him from shooting the ball, which is always kind of a concern. So, obviously, he's a really good defender. He's 27 years old, so he's still kind of young. Um, he's, he's on an affordable contract, but he has taken a dip. This is what I'm saying. So, he was at three points a game. Obviously, he's recruited. So, nine points a game when he was playing full season. Then he got to 11. Then he got up to 15. Looks like he was going in the right direction. Then he kind of took a dip last year, and his three-point percentage went down to 31%. And now it's even down more this year. So, it's 23%, which is a bad, bad thing. Celtics need shooting. They really, really need shooting. Um, the, I mean, J- other than J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who can they rely on to knock down a bucket? It was Josh Richardson for a stretch there, which is the risk here. Very big risk. They're banking on uh, Derek White kind of fitting right in, which has looked good. But keep in mind, the Celtics were on a win streak already. So you can't necessarily say, oh, Derek White... Wow, now the Celtics are starting to win games. That's not true. Celtics were winning games before Derek White got there, and he kind of joined the mix, and then they kept winning, right? Um, and in fact, they did lose a tough game last night to the Pistons, who are not a very good team. Um, so, interesting decision here. What was cool about yeah? So, what was cool about this is that the Celtics were actually able to save money. They got rid of a lot of players. Um, and they were actually able to get under the the tax here, which is which is kind of crazy when you get the best player, um, get the best player, and then you get a really good defensive center. I think Tice was Tice was underutilized. Giving up Schroeder for Tice is tough. I mean, it's an L on paper because it's like Schroeder's the clearly better player. But when they've got Derek White, they don't really need Schroeder, and especially when you got Pritchard and um, Smart, so you don't really need. Dennis Schroeder, he wasn't working out anyway. He's also on a one-year contract who they, you know, Dennis Schroeder had literally explained that he wasn't going to stay here. This was simply so he could show the league what he could do. Um, <laughs> so he wasn't going to stay here. So it's like you might as well get a guy that's going to be here and it's going to want to be here and it's going to compete, right? Um, I don't know how too big the market was for Dennis Schroeder anyway. I know the Lakers are going to pursue him, but um, not a terrible move in my opinion. Because Tice is really good defensively. Um, and as a backup, he'll be good. As a center, he was not good. But as a backup, he could be pretty good. Um, I, I'm going to quickly move on here. That that trade kind of is what it is. Um, I'm going to try to keep this at 35 minutes if I can. Um, so, okay, the other there's two other big ones. So, Sixers. Okay, massive, massive win for Philadelphia. Massive win. Um, there's a couple reasons for this. Um one of which is obviously my rule, right? You got the best player best player in the trade. The other part of this is that you got a superstar caliber player in this trade to pair with another superstar caliber player in Joel Embiid, which makes you an immediately title contender. And if you have trades that can make you an immediate title contender, you make those moves, okay? You do. That's just what you do. You don't worry about the pieces. You don't worry about the, um, you know, the 
locker room fit. You just you just make the move. This is what you do. Even if you even if it all fails, you make the trade. Um. So. What's what's also astonishing about this trade is that they actually didn't give up too much, right? So yes, you give up Ben Simmons. Ah, I have a whole thing on Ben Simmons. Um, you give up Seth Curry. He's kind of tough to give up. Then you give up some other role players, right? Fine, fine. You weren't getting anything out of Ben Simmons. He was not going to play for you. That situation had broken, right? Your relationship with Ben Simmons had broken. Not to mention that Ben Simmons is probably one of the most flawed superstars I have seen in the NBA. He cannot shoot, right? He is a point guard that cannot shoot. Now, not not just talking threes. He cannot make jump shots. He cannot make a standard, like, 12-foot, 15-foot jump shot. And he is getting paid at an insane rate. He's making, like, $35 million, I think, in a couple years. Not to mention that he presents a locker room problem. Not to mention that he was he was unwilling to play for your team. So I would... I mean, the, the freaking gall of... <laughs> I, I, like, I mean, it ended up being the right decision, but the, the gall of the Sixers to ask for all-star caliber, caliber talent in return for Ben Simmons is unbelievable to me. I mean... I know that they asked they asked around for like McCollum and Jalen Brown and it was like what are you doing right now? There, there's no way anyone does this, right? I don't care that he's young. He's has a, a, like a clear mental block in his game and until that gets resolved, his value will not be anything and they were able to package him. I I'm going to look at this again. You give up Seth Curry, which is kind of tough. Seth Curry's really good. Um I don't think they give up anything. Maybe they give up a pick here. Um, but it, it to seem to me like nothing of of significance here. They were able to keep Tobias Harris, um, which is huge. They were able to keep Therese Maxey. I'm trying to think. They don't give up Thibel, right? So Nets are sending James Harden and Paul Millsap, a nice vet to add, to Philly. Well, the Sixers will give up Andre Drummond. Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, and two first-round picks. So they did give up a couple picks, but again, this is... What what are those picks, really? Like, 32, right? 31, when they're going to be top two in the East now with this team, and then they get going. I mean, a James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll? Oh, my God. That's got to be scary. That's got to be absolutely scary. But, yeah, they were able to keep Maxi. They were able to keep Thibel. Um They ha- still have Danny Green. They still have Tobias Harris. They have Joel Embiid. They have James Harden. They don't have first-round draft picks. Who cares, in my opinion? Um, same situation here for Pelicans, right? New Orleans. <laughs> Josh Hart? Sure. Go for it, right? I mean, and, and this brings me into a um, um, another another segue with the Cavaliers. But I'll, 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 I'll touch on the Cavaliers for a minute just because they've done something right. And and that and I think this adds to what the Pelicans did. So the Cavaliers have obviously overperformed expectations. They've they've got a bunch of young guys that are just winning games in the NBA. And I think the reason this is happening is because the Cleveland Cavaliers are understanding the importance of a pairing between veteran players and um and and prospects, right? So Cavaliers have done a phenomenal job drafting. I mean, 
Darius Garland looks great. Colin Sexton looks great. Jared Allen looks way better. Like all of these guys are are ascending. All these young guys are ascending and looking like real players in the NBA. Um, but what's interesting here is that they've 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 got a coach, bigger staff, who I think is phenomenal and is really really coaching these guys. And they also have they've always made sure that they've had veteran presences, right? Presences maybe. Um, they have they had Ricky Rubio for the first half of the season. And they've had Kevin Love that have been mentoring these guys. And Draymond Green actually talks about this on one of his Ringer shows. He talks about kind of the importance and the effect that it has to have a veteran guy, right? This is the issue with the Thunder. The Thunder have an interesting approach, which is just get a bunch of young players, lose a bunch of games, get, in, get just tons and tons of draft picks and hand it on your guy. Now, that method could work, but the reason they're not winning games right now is because they have no veteran presence. And the veteran presence they had last year, Al Horford, they didn't even play. So, um... They just don't they don't value that. And then as a result, they've gone down and down in terms of the wins. Right. So the Cavaliers are understanding this. Now let's turn this into the uh the win here. So now what the what the Pelicans have done is they've they've got a bunch of really, really young, good players, right? With uh Zion Williamson, who's hopefully is gonna be healthy soon, Brandon Ingram, these guys. And now you've got a vet, a really, really high quality vet, and you didn't have to give up too much to get him. Now I'm gonna go over this one just Exactly, just to make sure that they didn't give up anything massive. Um, but anytime you have a chance to get a player like this who's going to get you um, 20 points, 22 points a game and is an absolute perimeter threat, um, that is that is an absolute win for your franchise. Um, it's it's going to be interesting here. I think the Blazers have really lost a few of these trades. Oh, yeah, and they also got Larry Nance in this trade. So I'm looking at the exact thing. They got Tony Stone, Larry, Larry Nance. Um and they have to give up <laughs> Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, Sadoransky, and Didi Lazauda and second-round picks. And then a protected first, I think, in 2022. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go for it. Go for it. I'm all in. Give away the draft picks. It's always fine with me. Those draft, you <laughs> Again, if you have a lottery pick and you get one, if you have three lottery picks in the top three, a friend of mine always brings this up. If you get three lottery picks, you get top three pick three years in a row, and you get one all-star, you are an above-average drafter. That's how hard it is to draft in the NBA. Again, none of those things are guaranteed. Um, and then there's an also just a slight... I mean, <laughs> there's a trade here with the Clippers where they basically get Robert Covington and... Um, and and another quality player just for free, which is a very interesting <laughs> trade that they uh, that the Blazers just. I think the Blazers are starting to rebuild, maybe, um, but they haven't really gotten high end draft picks to do it. So I'm really really worried about them. Um, and then as for the Lakers not doing anything at the deadline, I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how that plays out because it seemed like LeBron really really wanted them to do something and he did not get his wish. So we will see what happens, but. Um, I'm going to leave it here. We, we're already at 40 minutes here. I'm, I'm trying to keep these to about 30 minutes a pop. Um, but I, there was just so much to talk about today that I had to go over. But um, a lot of interesting things in the NBA. Congrats to the Rams for winning the Super Bowl. Um, hope I'm going to get these out more consistently. I promise. We're, we're still going to try with this YouTube channel. Um, but as for, uh, as for everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, we will catch you right here next time on uh, Playing the Field.